Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to a new edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trina here with you. It is Monday, September 23rd, 2019, and we have some good news, folks. We have our first Giants win. It is the debut of rookie quarterback Daniel Jones, who led the Giants from an 18-point deficit back to win the game 32-31. We're going to talk about that on the program today. We're going to talk with Mark Schofield, the Locked On Football Network's quarterback guru. We'll get his take on how Daniel Jones played. But before we do all that, a couple of quick housekeeping notes. Uh, For those who haven't heard, my father passed away last week. He passed away on Thursday. So uh, obviously there was no show Friday and um, I'm doing the best I can with shows this week. I do plan to have a show today. Obviously you're listening to today's show. I'm going to do Twitter Tuesday tomorrow. So I'll be taping that show uh, on Monday night. And then I'm of course looking to do the crossover show with Chris Russell of the Locked On Redskins podcast for Wednesday. Um, So I am trying my best to get caught up with you guys. I do apologize for last week. But like I said, dad passed away longtime giant fan had to take some time off for that. But listen, it's good to be back. It's good to be have you guys back on board. And it's especially good to be talking about a Giants win that was just so overdue. And want to give a few thoughts about that Giants win. Before we hear from Mark Schofield, and let's start with Daniel Jones, who was just tremendous. Jones finished 23 of 36, 336 yards, was sacked five times through two touchdowns, um, and had a passer rating of 112.7. He also rushed four times for 28 yards, uh, long of 11, and had two rushing touchdowns. Now, couple things I want to talk about with Jones's performance. Number one, this guy was under pressure the entire game. He was actually hit 11 times as his offensive line protection just wasn't very good this week. The two tackles, Nate Solder and Mike Remmer struggled. There was some pressure that came up the middle through center John Halapio. Just not a very good showing from the offensive line. But What I saw from Daniel Jones that was really, really impressive was the resolve. It was, it, it, you know, I'm going to try not to keep comparing him to Eli Manning because I really don't think that is fair for anybody to do. But Daniel Jones just kept getting knocked down and getting back up as if to say, hey, is that the best you've got? And that, I mean, if, if you didn't get inspired by that, if you didn't, um, decide to give that kid your respect at that point, then I don't know what else it's going to take. Daniel Jones led the Giants back from an 18-point deficit, which is, I believe was the largest deficit they've had in, in gosh, I, I want to say at least over 10 years. I, th- I don't think Eli Manning ever was able to do that. I think the largest deficit Eli was able to lead the Giants back 
firm was 17 points. So just a tremendous, tremendous showing. And, you know, we saw the the kid has wheels. We knew about that back in the preseason. But really to see this young man and, and just how he took control of that huddle and did his thing, just just amazing. Uh, a hat tip to this kid. Tremendous respect for him. Um, also, a little uh, statistical note for you regarding Daniel Jones. He became the first NFL rookie quarterback with at least 300 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns in a single game since 1970, which was the AFL-NFL merger. So just a, a, a wonderful start to the Daniel Jones era. Now, the bad news, Saquon Barkley uh, suffered what is believed to be a high ankle sprain. Uh, it was in the second quarter. Um, his ankle, if you watched the replay, it turned a weird angle. So yeah, unfortunately, it looks like Saquon is going to be missing weeks. It doesn't sound like it is a season-ending injury. That is the good news. However, when you were talking about a running back, whenever you have a lower body injury that's involved, uh, you, you just got to cross your fingers that he's going to be okay and he's going to be able to be the same explosive force uh, that he was once he is healed, of course, um, you know, post-injury. So uh, Saquon Barkley, as, as you guys are hearing this podcast, Saquon is going to have an MRI to determine just how bad of a sprain it is, but it is believed to be the dreaded um, high ankle sprain. So, you know, that that was a, a one of the negatives of the game. Another negative, just while we're on the topic of injuries, linebacker Alec Ogletree suffered a hamstring strain. It was on a weird play. It was um, a play in which it looked like the uh, Bucks quarterback, Jameis Winston, had fumbled the ball. It was actually ruled an incomplete pass, but Ogletree scooped it up, started to run it back, thinking it was a live ball. And he pulled up and just, you know, he he strained his hamstring. And we don't know how bad it's going to be, but obviously they took him out of the game. And uh, we'll see just how many how much time he's going to miss. But with hamstrings, they're tricky, folks. You got to be careful because if you get a player back in there too soon, it's not good. That means uh, you could risk aggravating it again. So Ogletree was injured. Um, His backup, Tay Davis, was also injured. He suffered a concussion, so he will go into the protocol. The Giants a little thin right now, not just at running back with the Barkley injury, but also at linebacker. So it's going to be interesting to see this week if they make a roster move. They currently have five tight ends on the roster. Why they have so many, I couldn't tell you, but I can't see them keeping five tight ends, especially if, you know, with Barkley, who's going to miss some weeks. Um, and, and possibly, you know, like I said, if, if, um, Davis and or Ogletree have to miss multiple weeks, I think, you know, they're going to have to make a move there. So very unfortunate with the injuries. Um, couple of other quick notes from the game. Um, on the negative side, the defense, again, with some struggles. I mean, I don't know what to say about this defense anymore. I, I watch it and, and you know, Janoris Jenkins had a, had a rough game. But before anybody sits there and says, well, you know, he's washed up, he's over the hill. I question 
just how much of that was the the scheme he was being asked to play. And I think James Betcher at the you know in the second half made some adjustments and the defense started to play better, but not before that Giants defense allowed the Bucks to score on five straight possessions. And you just can't have that, folks. You can't. You've got to make a stop. You've got to get off the field. And that defense just looked absolutely lost. And, you know, I made this point uh, on Twitter earlier in the week. I said, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, if that defense doesn't get fixed. You know, I'm going to revise that a little bit because, you know, the quarterback, you know, it, it's a learning opportunity. It You know, Daniel Jones is the future. Um, he's shown he's ready and, you know, onward and upward with him. But if this team is going to win games and not have to sweat it out and hope for more situations like what they had against Tampa, where they had to get a wide right, you know, something about Tampa State, you know, playing against playing in Tampa uh, with wide right. But um, anyway, they're going to have to get better showing from the defense. Just I, I don't know how much longer this can continue. And you know, now that they've made the switch at quarterback, I think now the the onus is really going to be on defensive coordinator James Betcher because, you know, the offense seems fixed, the defense does not, and they he better figure out how to get this unit playing better, whether it's adjusting the scheme, changing up the personnel or whatever. And I'm sure the injuries aren't going to help either, but you know, he better get it figured out because otherwise it'll be a long, long season for this team. All right, folks, you're listening to Locked on Giants with Patricia Trena. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, Mark Schofield is going to be on the program, and we're going to talk Daniel Jones and get his observations on what he saw. So stay with us. Hey, Giant fans, if you're looking for tickets to the games or perhaps to the hottest concerts, Broadway plays, or other area events, check out Vivid Seats. Download their easy-to-use app from the Google Play or iTunes App Store. And when you set up your account, you'll be automatically enrolled in Vivid Seats' customer loyalty program, which offers credit back on all purchases made through the app. With Vivid Seats, you'll get great prices and an easy purchasing experience right from your smartphone or tablet, with all confirmed orders backed by a full guarantee. Also, for a limited time, save up to $100 off your first Vivid Seats purchase when you enter the code KICKOFF at checkout. Don't be left on the sideline. Download the Vivid Seats app today and get into the game. And don't forget, use the special code KICKOFF at checkout to save up to $100 off your first Vivid Seats purchase. The Locked on Giants podcast is brought to you in part by BlueChew.com. Visit BlueChew.com and enter promo code LOCKEDON to receive your first shipment for only $5 shipping and handling. That's bluechew.com. I'm joined now by Mark Schofield. He is the quarterback guru for the Locked On NFL Network. He also writes for Inside the Pylon, Big Blue View, tremendous asset. And you knew, folks, we were going to go to Mark Schofield because after the day Danny Dimes had, who better to talk about it than Mr. Schofield? Mark, thank you so much for coming on the program with me this morning. Pat, it's great to be with you, although I don't know if I'm the best guy to have because I'm busy kind of stuffing my face with a little bit of crow this morning <laughs> after the game that Danny Dimes had, but it's a blast to be with you. And I got to say, in all honesty, it was a blast to watch him yesterday. Let's just put that out there at the front. 
Well, you know what, Mark? If it makes you feel any better, I don't think you're the only one who's eating no. crow. And, no, there's and, a and, lot of us. Yeah, exactly. And Mark, let's let, let's talk about Danny Dimes. I mean, just overall, if you had to summarize his performance beyond the numbers and everything, what did he show you that maybe was was unexpected for a rookie quarterback, his first NFL start? What did he show you that you just that just made you say, "Wow." I think in a way we will turn to numbers to sort of put into context and to quantify this trait of his that I thought he might be able to develop, but didn't think we'd see it so quickly. And that was how he handled pressure. Now there's a double-edged sword to that that we'll get to, I'm sure. But look, he was under pressure on, and this is from pro football focus, 47% of his dropbacks, third highest of week three of on all quarterbacks. He was pressured on 47% of his dropbacks. He completed 80% of his pressured attempts for 233 yards, two touchdowns, and a perfect 158.3 passer rating. And that's the fourth most pressured passing yards by any quarterback in any regular season game in pro football focuses history. And to even get more into this, over that span, there are 1,674 instances of a quarterback attempting at least 12 pressured pass attempts at a game, and Jones is the first to record a perfect passer rate. And those were numbers tweeted out by Pat Thorman and also Scott Barrett from Pro Football Focus. He was incredible from crowded pockets. He was incredible when the chaos was swirling around him and he was trying to make a throw downfield. And that's what really stood out to me. The bottom line, the numbers, the win, the drive, all of that stuff was obviously fantastic. And even if Tampa Bay went down and kicked that field goal, I think Giants fans would still be pretty excited today. But seeing how he handled crowded pockets, seeing how he handled when the cauldron was swirling around him, that really sort of made me realize that, look, this kid has it. You know, sometimes you just know when a guy has it. And this young quarterback really shined yesterday, especially under pressure. He certainly did. And that's an, that's some amazing stats, if you think about it, because a lot of quarterbacks, when they're pressured, they go all over the place, and especially young quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, we always talk about, you know, getting them off their mark. Um, going into the game, Mark, what, what do you think the plan was? I mean, initially, you know, I'm sure Pat Shermer had a script um, as to what he was going to have Daniel do, you know, whether it be single reads, multiple reads and whatnot, but just kind of going in and backing up a little bit. What, what do you think the overall approach was with him for his first NFL game? And then how do you see them building on that? Well, I think what they wanted to do was a lot of throws on early downs. I, when I charted this game last night, I think the number I came up with, it was 14 of his passing attempts came on first down, which I thought was a really nice way to get them into some favorable situations. I mean, just look at their opening play. They come out 12 personnel, two tight ends. You get a base defense to throw against, and then you get Evan Ingram on a shallow crossing route against, working against linebackers. I think that's sort of ideal. And so I think the idea from Shermer was to throw on early downs, try to throw against base personnel as much as possible, give him some simplified reads. On their opening drive, they had that little sit route over the top, like a deeper curl, and then the shallow from the tight end underneath. They ran that place twice. That play twice. Two of the first three throws he had were on that design where he threw shallow to the tight end. And so 
it was a combination of approaches, trying to get him some early throws on early downs, trying to get him some simplified reads, and then over the course of the game to see how he was handling things, then build in some of the deeper stuff, some of the deeper throws that he had, some that he hit, some that he even missed. But still, you saw them work him into the game, let him build up his confidence with early throws against base personnel and build on top of that. And I thought the game plan was great for him, and obviously the way he executed it was even better. Now, of course, he did not have Saquon Barkley. Uh, the the Bucks took Saquon out of the game literally before that ankle injury. How much of a of a monkey wrench was that for him? You know, because obviously having a strong running game is any quarterback's best friend. And and just can you talk about how they overcame the loss of Saquon Barkley to that ankle injury? As far as you know, what they asked Daniel to do in the second half. Well, a lot of it was they would still come to play action even off of, you know, an ineffective running game or not even having Barkley on the field. I mean, you look at how they opened the second half, that touchdown throw to Evan Ingram, that was off of play action. And with a banged up running back, with a running off game that couldn't get going, play action can still be effective. And numbers have borne that out a couple of years ago. Washington couldn't run the ball worth a lick, but they were one of the best teams in play action because you still have the ability to change the eye angles of linebackers, get them to bite hard and come downhill and create space. And that throw to Ingram is a perfect example of that because it was a simple cover three. That route should have been taken away by the underneath linebackers, but they see run action. They can't help themselves. They break downhill. It creates the space on that second level where Jones has now an easier throw to make. And then from there, Evan Ingram does a fantastic job, you know, taking that to the to the house and, you know, from the yardage after the catch standpoint. But I think the ability to still be effective off of play action, even without Barkley even with a running game that can't get going, shows you how valuable play-action passing can be to all quarterbacks, but particularly a young quarterback making his first start. Because anytime you can get bigger throwing lanes to throw into, like we saw in that Ingram play, you're going to be successful. And so I think the continued reliance on play-action, not just thinking, look, they're not going to fall for it. Barkley's out. We don't have 26. They won't bite on play-action fakes anymore. This was a perfect example of how you don't need to be a successful running team to still be effective using play-action. Now, we heard a lot and we also saw a lot in the spring and the summer about the RPOs that this that this offense was capable of running with Jones in there. I think we saw a couple of those in there. What did you think about the reads and just his whole handling of those? Yeah, and this was an area of Jones that I thought might have been a strength of his coming out, sort of the quick process and speed on some of the RPO stuff, some of the quick game stuff. It's why I thought, you know, if he was moved into a, an offense that was going to be based around West Coast concepts, he could still be extremely effective as a quarterback run of those because that's where I really liked him. And you saw even some of that – some of my favorite throws of his when he was at Duke came on what we call the Ohio concept, a go route on the outside and a slot receiver running an out route. They ran Ohio a couple of times yesterday. It's given him something he's adept at running. But when it comes to the RPOs, again, you see that quick process and speed when he's making that decision to whether to, to give or to pull and throw. And he executed those well. And of course, the zone read element is a big part of that. And he had the touchdown run on that. And you saw number 31 for Tampa Bay gets spun around because he's worried he's going to chase down Saquon Barkley from the backside and he forgets Daniel Jones can keep it now. You know, that might've been an instance that's a good little way to compare the Eli versus Daniel Jones then, because you've got a defender that's like at all quarterback's not going to keep it here, but of course, Daniel Jones can, and he gets a touchdown run. So I thought the quick process and speed on some of those RPO decisions, whether he's going to give a throw were great, and obviously the zone read athleticism element that he brings was also another boost to this offense. 
Now, Mark, I'm going to ask you to go back a, a little bit with Pat Shermer from his days in Minnesota. And the, we all know, you know, back then he ran, I think it was the NFL's, I want to say it was a top five offense at the time. How much closer was the Giants offense with Daniel Jones in there to being to what Shermer ran in, in Minnesota so successfully? I mean, does it allow him to... In other words, does Daniel Jones's presence, his his talents, his skill set allow Shermer to run more of that Minnesota offense that was just so such a powerhouse back then? I think it does. And if you think about, you know, his last season in Minnesota where he had Case Keenum, you know, part of what made them incredibly successful was they were the number one team in terms of play action passive attempts. They really relied on it. And Case Keenum isn't obviously known for having a huge arm and having the ability to push the ball downfield with velocity, but they could scheme deep shots to either Adam Phelan or Stephon Diggs off of play action and scheme vertical throws off of that. And you certainly saw a lot of that in this offense yesterday. But the other thing that we saw from this offense was it was a much better mix of designs. You saw quick game stuff. You saw vertical stuff. You saw rollouts that would work. Obviously the ability of Daniel Jones to create and extend with his athleticism really stood out as well. As well, there were a number of times where it looked like he was going to get sacked, but he's able to escape, extend plays. Always keeps the the eyes downfield. Now, look, there's some ball security things that he'll need to clean up a bit. Had a couple of times where that ball got knocked out, but you do like seeing the quarterback fight and keeping those eyes downfield as well. And, and you put that together. It gives this offense a bunch of different ways to attack a team. It's not like teams can now say, we've got to take away just the underneath throws and they're going to struggle. No, because Jones showed yesterday that ability to push the ball downfield a bit, coming off of play action, push the ball downfield, even when he's forced out of the pocket. He had some great scramble draw throws, including one to Barkley when he was flushed to his left and found him late along the sideline. And so you put that together and this offense did have more of a this is what Schumer was doing in Minnesota feel to it than we saw at any time last season or through the first two weeks of this season. You're listening to Locked on Giants with Patricia Trainer, special guest Mark Schofield. We're going to take a short break, come back and talk more Danny Dimes. So stay with us. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked on Giants. Patricia Trainer with you. Guest Mark Schofield. He is the Locked on NFL quarterback expert. He's also with Inside the Pylon, Big Blue View. If you are not reading his stuff, you are doing yourself a great injustice. Check him out. His stuff is fantastic. It is must read and always delighted to have him on the program with me. Mark, you, you touched upon this um, in the previous segment about the ball security issues. And, and Shermer, you know, mentioned that as, as being one of the things that, you know, if, if you were taking away the merits uh, on what was otherwise a strong performance by Dan- Daniel Jones, that's one of the things. What else, you know, in terms of what he still has to work on, did you see come out of this first start? Well, I, I think there are two things. One, you know, some of the throws were not perfectly placed. I mean, there are even some throws in the intermediate area that were, you know, behind the receiver. He had a deep shot, which I'm trying to look through my notes, but he missed on a deep shot that would have been six. Um, but missed on that one. And so there's some ball placement stuff. But look, I mean, I spent yesterday afternoon watching Tom Brady miss a bunch of throws too or put a bunch of throws low that weren't catchable or were tough catches for his receivers. You're going to have missed throws. It doesn't matter 
you know, who you are as a quarterback, where you are in the experience level. And a couple of those a game isn't something to worry about. If all 36 passing attempts are off target, then it's a concern. But, you know, that's, you know, nitpicky kind of stuff. And the other thing with some of this pocket toughness, there's also an aspect to that where sometimes, you know, we haven't seen the all 22 yet. So it's hard to determine if some of the times when he was getting pressured and making throws under duress were due to just offensive line or defensive linemen making great plays, or if he was slow to make a decision with where to go with the football, if he had routes coming open and he wasn't, you know, making the throw when he could have, you know, so that's something that they, they're going to look at today, you know, as they sort of go through the tape themselves as a coaching staff and see, look, you know, you made a great throw under pressure on this play here, Danny. But if you make an anticipation throw, you're not going to get hit because the ball is going to be out of your hands. And so there might have been instances throughout that game where it looks great watching it live or watching the replay of the broadcast angle, all oh, the pockets collapsing around him and he's making a tough throw under pressure. But if it's because he's throwing it late, you know, that's something that he can work on as well. And so, you know, that's something that I'll look at. That's something I'll look at when I rewatch the game. But it's hard to really find something and just say, absent some of the ball security issues that he really wasn't good at. Because I thought he was pretty much good, if not excellent, at just about everything he did upon my first two viewings of this game. Now, in terms of intangibles, I know without being in the huddle, that's hard to judge, but there was a story that came out of the locker room after the game, how, you know, this choir boy, self, you know, soft-spoken, very polite, basically, you know, cussed and said, come on, guys, let's, you know, bleep and score here, you know, and I'm paraphrasing there, but what other intangibles do you think Daniel Jones brought to that huddle that maybe, you know, were missing before? I mean, I do think that the he dropped that F-bomb early in the game. It wasn't like he was doing it on the final drive. You know, I saw that story, too. And I was like, man, he's, he's doing this. It was before his, his touchdown, his zone read touchdown run. It was on that drive. But I think the main thing that if you're a teammate of his in that huddle, if you're somebody on the defense watching on the sidelines and you see him escaping plays and extending plays and, you know, making hard throws from the pocket when you're getting hit and getting right back up, you know, if you're an offensive lineman and maybe you miss on a stun exchange or you get beat and then you turn around and you expect to, you know, turn around and help your quarterback up, but instead he's scrambling behind you and then making a throw downfield, you're a bit more confident and comfortable with what you're doing. You don't have to feel like you need to be perfect to keep the offense on schedule. And so it's the things like that, those little things where he turns what should be a sack into a a 15-yard play downfield or scrambles and picks up positive yardage. That's going to help the entire huddle because they feel like they don't need to be perfect. They feel like they can just be comfortable, be relaxed, and do what they can. And he can pick them up too. It's not where they have to pick up the guy behind them. And so all of that is going to help this offense be comfortable and play their best football. I've often believed that – Comfort level and familiarity when you're playing this game, because it's such a hard game to play, are going to help you be better regardless of position. And Jones's ability to sort of extend, create, and keep plays alive is going to be a big boost to this offense. Now, I know it, you know it's two different sides of the ball, but when you have an offense that's functioning the way that the Giants were – how much of an effect does that have on the defense? I mean, because the defense started to play better in the second half of that game. Was it maybe them feeding off of the offense or are the two just not related? No, I, I think there is an element to it feeding off of the of the offense and what they're doing. Because, you know, when, the, when your offense is inept, you know, or can't score or can't extend drives and you're constantly out there, you have to feel like, 
we were just talking about. You have to play perfect. You can't give up points. You can't get beat deep. So maybe you're given soft coverage in front of you, or you have to be perfect. If you've got this belief as a defense that, look, you know, they're going to score if they get the ball back. So we just need to stop here, but we don't need to be perfect. Or, you know, we don't have to pitch a shutout to win games. That's going to help you play better as well. And so it's one of those sort of, you know, beautiful cycles of football where you get one side of the ball playing well, the other side of the ball starts playing well, people start to sort of believe in what's happening. And that could be a great thing for this team because, you know, the defense was bad the first two weeks. But like you said, they started playing better. And, you know, you get out of Tampa Bay, a team that, you know, looks to be trying to get better under Bruce Arians. You get out of there with a win. Road games are notoriously tough in the National Football League. You've started a rookie quarterback, his first NFL start. But to win and win in the fashion that they did has to be a huge boost to this locker room. In terms of the huddle, you know, a lot of times for a rookie, it can be intimidating. You're coming into the huddle and you have veteran teammates around you, four, five, six plus years of experience. Just based on what you saw on on watching the game on TV, how would you assess the command that Daniel had of that huddle? Yeah, and this is one of those areas where it's hard to get a feel for the prospect without sort of sitting down with him. And it's probably why the Giants, among many teams, were high on Daniel Jones because you have to have that command. You have to have that ability to walk into a huddle and take charge regardless of your age, regardless of your experience level. It's I've analogized it again. I've talked about this before. To have all 10 sets of eyes looking back at you, believe it in you. Because if they're looking at their cleats or looking at the turf or whatever – and you don't see those eyes looking back at you. It's a lonely place, that huddle. And I've been in that situation when I've seen those guys looking at their cleats and looking at the Nike logo on their shoes because they don't believe in you. And so when you have the ability as a draft prospect to walk into a room with owners and general managers and coaches and take command of that situation, which I'm sure Jones did given how the NFL felt about him, it translates to the huddle. And so, look, when you, you saw a number of – you know, throughout this game, I didn't see situations where guys weren't lined up in the right spot or he's having to make adjustments because maybe something got missed in the huddle. It seemed like he had absolute mastery and command of the huddle. That's a huge thing for him. And that goes to Jen, Daniel Jones, perhaps the self-confidence he has. And that matters big time for a quarterback. What's the next step for Daniel? You know, we talked about in segment two, we talked about the plan coming in and how Shermer kind of, you know, had this set plan about throwing on first down against, you know, base defenses. What do you think is the next step? Uh, and I know it's early, you know, we, we're just wrapping up this game. Washington is up next on the schedule. But if you were, you know, mapping this out, what? how would you progress him in terms of, you know, his next start? Well, I think what you want to see over the next two weeks is you get back-to-back home games, you get Washington, Minnesota at home. You want to see how he reacts to the adjustments because now, look, Washington is going to have film on him. Minnesota is going to get the benefit of two weeks of film, you know, from Tampa Bay and then from the Washington game. So they're going to do different things. He might see some different adjustments. You know, some of these plays that we highlighted where maybe the pressure was due to him not making a throw on time. If that is indeed the case, again, not saying it is or isn't, we just haven't seen the, the coach's film yet. You know, he might see more of those types of looks. If say Tampa did something with a spun safety look or a combination coverage, that maybe caused him to pause a bit. He might see more of those. So he's going to have to react to those kind of adjustments. And let's not forget in, in three weeks and he'll get it on a short week. He might get the biggest, he'll get the biggest test of his young career, but he goes to Gillette 
to take on a Bill Belichick defense that through three games has yet to give up a touchdown. Like that's going to be a huge benchmark game for him. And, you know, Belichick is usually very good against rookie quarterbacks, especially when they're making game starts on the road. Um, So that's going to be a fantastic benchmark type of game. But the one thing that he'll have going for him is his athletic ability in that game because Patriots defenses have often struggled against young quarterbacks with athleticism. That can often be sort of the, the crutch or, you know, the trump card that young quarterbacks have is their legs to extend plays and keep them alive. Jones showed that against Tampa Bay. And so that could be critical in that game. But I think how he adjusts to what team, what he showed on film yesterday and how teams and defenses, defensive coordinators adjust to that is going to be telling through the next two weeks. Now, I'd be remiss, Mark, if I didn't mention Eli Manning and the influence that he's had on Daniel, because Daniel did bring it up. He said that Eli has been tremendous. For those of us, you know, who who haven't played the position, what impact does Eli Manning have on, on Daniel during the game? What's he telling him? What kind of guidance is he able to give him? And what can he do for him moving forward? Well, he can be that peer that gives critical advice because you know when I was playing and I would make a mistake I mean I remember a game that I started in college when I threw an interception early and the last person in the world I wanted to hear from was my head coach or my offense coordinator because I knew I made a mistake I didn't want them I didn't want them near me because I was just going to get mad but when we had the guy that was our starting quarterback who was hurt come over to me tell me what he saw from the sideline tell me what his read and thought process would have been on that play that helped me because that message was going to get through. Anything Coach Hauser said to me or Coach Velasquez or anybody else was going to say to me in that moment, I was just going to immediately tune out because that's the last person I wanted to hear it from. But to hear it from a peer, somebody that has been through that, somebody that's been through those moments and has faced those same decisions, that message was going to get in. And so when he, Jones, it could be the same exact thing. If he makes a mistake or if he makes a bad read, he doesn't want to hear from Shermer or anybody else, but Eli Manning being there and saying, look, man, you saw this coverage. This is how I would have read it. I I know what you were thinking. You probably were expecting this, and this is what you did, and I get why you did it, but next time you see something like that, you probably want to make this decision. That kind of message will sink in. And so I think it's so beneficial when you have sort of a peer giving you that in-the-moment advice, especially when you might not want to hear from the sort of constructive criticism that your coaches are about to give you. That could be huge for a young quarterback. That could be huge for any quarterback. And so to have Eli doing that, to have Eli sort of take on that bit of a mentorship type role will be huge for Daniel Jones and his development. Mark, final thoughts on Daniel Jones. I mean, uh, to me, it looks like the offense is in in good hands, but, you know, a lot of people, the cynics out there, if there are still any cynics, will say it's one game. Don't put them in the Hall of Fame just yet. I mean, but still looking at it overall, I, I would think you'd have to feel good about where this offense is headed with Daniel Jones. Yeah, and and I saw a tweet yesterday afternoon or yesterday evening when the game ended that said that Dave Gettleman should take to the podium dressed like Cam Newton would, you know, and (laughs) sort of give his post-game conference that way. Because, look, let's be honest. I mean, the Giants organization, Giants fans, Daniel Jones himself, they took a beating after this pick was made. And a lot of people said that, look, it wasn't going to work. You know, maybe people didn't think Jones could pan out. Maybe people thought it was a question of value with the sixth pick. Maybe you could have gone differently. Maybe it was left over angst over not taking a quarterback in the previous draft. But waking up this morning as a Giants fan or somebody in this organization, you have to feel 
pretty darn good about where your offense is going. You saw this offense play with a spark. You saw this offense play with energy. You saw this offense take on, you know, a different feel and flavor. You saw Evan Ingram have a huge game, you know, perhaps Daniel Jones and his ability on those RPO designs, on those quick play action designs to get the ball quickly to his tight end. It's going to be a big part of this offense. Yes, the athleticism, the escapability you bring to the table, and the fact that you go down and win a game in dramatic fashion on the road in the NFL, those games are always tough to win. doesn't matter who you're playing. You have to feel incredible about this organization, not just in the, the future, but the present. And so hard not to be excited about them if you're a Giants fan. Hard not to be happy for them by somebody that loves quarterbacks. And even though I wasn't the biggest fan of the pick, I'm happy to be proven wrong by this kid. It seems like every step of the way – from the time he was drafted up until now, he has handled this incredibly well. He has done incredibly well. He was fantastic in the preseason. Looks even better right now. And look, you get two home games now. Washington, they're going to be on a short week. Minnesota's been up and down. They might have a 3-2 and two record when they make that trip to Foxborough. And that would be a fantastic story. So I'm beyond happy for Daniel Jones. I'm happy for and elated for Giants fans this morning. And it does certainly look like the Giants have found their next QB. Amen to that. And, you know, it was a bittersweet week. You know, Eli Manning, he gave so much to the organization. You know, they did him wrong at the end of his career. I don't care yeah. what anybody says. I, I I just don't think they they did him any favors with some of the personnel and the schemes they put around him. But look, it's on to the future. Eli's a tremendous soldier. Um, Daniel Jones has handled this well. Eli has handled it well. And you really got to, you know, this is how you handle it. You know, you've, you've seen instances where, you know, like in Baltimore, Joe Flacco, when he was there, didn't want really a whole lot to do with Lamar Jackson. And you've seen, you know, other instances where quarterbacks just don't want to help their younger contemporaries. So kudos to everybody in the Giants organization, Eli, Pat Shermer, Mike Shula, Dave Gettleman, Jones, just, just total professionals and how they've gone about this. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. And, you know, it is, like you said, there are contrasts to quarterbacks like Flacco that didn't handle it well, but I, I do think that to see how Eli has handled this just speaks volumes about the kind of person he is. And again, it does help. It can be a huge boost to a young quarterback to have that kind of voice in your ears. And so I, I can't say enough. Well, it's hard as, let me just say this. It's hard as a Patriots guy to say good things about Eli Manning because, you know, he's made some plays against us that have, that have stunned a bit, but <laughs> um, can't say enough good things about him and how he's handled this. And, you know, kudos to him for the job that he's done. And what is a hard moment for him? Yeah, definitely. True professional and hopefully a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mark Schofield, thank you so much for coming on the program to talk Giants football with me. I know as a Patriots fan, always difficult, but you do such a great job on not just the giant quarterbacks, but all the quarterbacks you cover. So I really appreciate your expertise. Giant fans, make sure you tune in tomorrow. We have a Twitter Tuesday. Now, again, if you're going to ask a question, please get them to me as soon as you can, because I am recording early tonight. Um, so try to get your questions into me by eight o'clock if you can. And uh, tune in tomorrow for Twitter Tuesday. So on behalf of Mark Schofield, this is Patricia Trainer. Thank you so much for tuning into the Locked on Giants podcast.